Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. It's the Pop Cult Podcast. I am Seth. Ariana. And we are here today to talk about two recent new releases. Uh, we've watched them both, and we are going to tell you what we think of them. And they are two very different movies from very different directors about very different things. Uh, and first up, we will talk about Cha-Cha Real Smooth. It's a uh, 2022 American comedy drama. It was written, directed, produced, and stars uh, indie filmmaker Cooper Rafe. He stars as a college graduate who starts making money as a party starter at uh, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, while also striking up a relationship with a young mother uh, who has an autistic daughter that he also becomes the caretaker for, like a... The sitter. Yeah, well, like, she's not a baby, so, but yeah, kind of a, a, a nanny-ish kind of figure. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna hold off getting into the big nitty gritty details right off the bat. But first, I just want to know what were your general feelings about this movie? This was overall extremely disappointing, and this is coming from a person that like I love romantic comedies. I have consumed romantic comedies on the side because you cannot stand them, and. <laughs> It's a genre where it's like... I wouldn't say I can't stand them. I think most of them aren't very good. Every once in a while, there's like a good one. Yeah. The thing is like, I don't have like a very high standard of what it is. It's and like, it can be like a mid, uh, mid-movie kind of thing, or it could be like a series, which I really enjoyed was, um, what was Rosa uh, Matfeo was in it, like Starstruck. Mm-hmm. Which I think I, is having a third season now at this point. It's having a third season? Yeah, I think season? they just finished the second season, and now they announced they're renewing it for a third. So. I, I love it. So, um, I enjoy, like, I enjoy romance, I enjoy a comedy, but this was just so lackluster and just lacking of chemistry in there and believability, and I'm kind of confused because I've not looked into any of, uh... The reviews, but you just told me that there's a ton of like there's Gen a, Zs going like finally a film for me. I would say it's a ton of Gen Zs, but it's like there's a very clear divide between there's people that hated the movie and there's people that love the movie. I am with you. I'm in the camp of I did not like this movie <laughs> like strongly, and I was gonna give it a chance. I originally I wasn't gonna watch it, but we were looking for content for the podcast, and I thought. I like the last time we did, I think it was The Innocence and One, Two, Three, Shoot. Yeah. I like doing, you know, new movies that I don't necessarily want to write a whole review for, but uh-huh. I like watching them and talking about them with you. Uh, and so this had gotten a lot of praise at Sundance. I wasn't familiar with the uh, filmmaker. I think this is like his second feature. Uh, and Apple paid $15 million to have the rights to put the movie on their streaming platform. So it made me think, it has Dakota Johnson in it, who I would feel like for me, since Suspiria, that really kind of made me go, huh, okay, she's a pretty good actress. I'm interested in what she has to do. Uh, the last two films we've seen are in. Yeah, not good. Not good. This, I, I would rather watch The Lost Daughter than this movie like <laughs> a dozen times. Um, so Cooper Rafe, he, if there's someone to blame for the movie, it's him. He played every major role in making this movie. Uh, before we get into sort of the details of him, his 
persona within the film. He plays a character named Andrew, who is a recent college grad, so he's supposed to be about 22. In real life, Cooper is 25. Yeah. Um, he plays the role, and the one way I thought I could describe it is he's a goober. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is, and I saw one review refer to him as a Gary Stew. Yes, he's a manic pixie boy. Yes, manic pixie dream boy. Yeah. Uh, and if you've never seen, if you haven't seen this movie, or if you've never seen a movie with that type of trope in it, it's all the worst things you could imagine about that. <laughs> like, it, it's truly awful. Um, the film and the way Cooper plays Andrew have this quirk quirkiness to it and there's an attempt to add an edge but it never amounts to anything i think it was like he was trying to make the modern version of garden state and just completely Ugh. failed it at was least, bad enough we got garden state yeah, we didn't need another like, one. garden state after a few like I remember it had a style to it, it. Had a style there was also like uh there, were, there was a charisma about it, and then afterwards, like, yes, we all turned against it once we realized how stupid it was. Yeah, it was very shallow. Um, and this is also a very shallow, shallow This movie. one, I don't know if maybe because we're older and a little bit more cynical, we saw right through it. Um, and I, I can understand why someone, like, people said, oh, it's such a cozy movie. So I get uh, Americans who are going through an existential crisis right now are clinging to like comfort everything food media media, but i don't think that's the way out of the problem to like you know put your ostrich head in the sand while things are collapsing before you go into a rant about the fall Uh, i mean but like i feel the success of this movie it's tied back to a yearning for simplicity and niceness in a culture that is rotten to its core and the rot is seeping up to the surface. Yeah. So there's like a desperation to the the people that really love this movie. Um, I do want to point out that Cooper Rafe is not Jewish in real life. And you were saying that you read it as that the character is meant to be Jewish. I'm unsure. And it's also very weird because like Leslie Mann is not Jewish. She's 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 in the film as his mother. She's married married to Judd Apatow, who in real life is Jewish. Jewish. Yeah, I don't know if they practice Judaism. I don't know if she converted to Judaism. But it's also very weird because it's like her character, all her friends seem to be tied into the yeah. Jewish So I, I learned a phrase. I didn't know while I was doing a little research here. Uh, B'nai mitzvahs. That's the gender neutral term for these okay. types of parties, which I'd never heard that before. Uh, so Cooper Rafe said he wanted to make a movie about B'nai mitzvahs. And his claim to being able to do this while he is not Jewish is that he grew up around a lot of Jewish people and he went to a lot of uh, B'nai Mitzvahs. And he wanted to make a movie about them from an outsider perspective. I did not get any sense that he was an outsider. I did, and here's why. Um, The only real connection to cultural Judaism is the songs they play? Well, I mean, like, I didn't get any hint that he was a, an outsider going into this. Like, it never felt... Like, in the movie? You, it, yeah, they didn't clearly was, state he's not Jewish. They didn't clearly state that he was not Jewish, and there was never a moment of him being... Like, 
maybe his younger brother asking him like hey what's this about i'm thinking that from my point of view i think his stepfather is jewish and his younger brother is his half brother and i think his half his half brother is jewish it's it's, once again like the fact that we even have to have this conversation points out how poorly the script is but it's also (laughs) like like it's really bad i did not know if that's his half brother or not because his brother Calls his stepdad by his first name. Oh, Sam. And says, like, oh, no, he's an asshole. And, like, he's like, yeah, thank you. Well, we'll get into the stepdad being an asshole and how that's completely incoherent. Um, So you're already off on a bad foot. (laughs) I feel like I remember a very brief, maybe hearing, like, one of the sort of uh, prayers from the Talmud. Uh, That's Yeah, it's super brief. Short. It's It's like a a second, and it's there. To me, it just presents the benign mitzvahs as generic birthday parties. Like, it felt like this could be a Gentile party. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's nothing here that makes it feel it's like it's connected to the Judaic like, culture. So, if we're going to talk about the film, and like, we need to talk about the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. So, the beginning of the film, it's supposed to be the young version of himself having watched this uh grown woman grown woman she's like a party starter or like, a, like she's like a dj like get everybody on the floor dancing and he's yes. like middle school age i think yeah and he tells his mom that he's in love with her and that he knows that she's in love with him but his mom is like all right if you want to go confess that's fine like there's not a moment where the mom stops him which is like you know what that's fine she's a healthy mom like it's a good way to handle it is you know let him tell this person and I'm sh- I have faith that this person and will let him down easy. So it goes to the point in like, um, obviously the woman's like, I'm old. She's flattered, but you're, flattered, you're a kid. But you're yeah. a kid. Um, he's in the backseat of the car crying. We trans- uh, where his mother comforts her. We transition to him crying because he's being broken up with. And I thought for a minute that because of him asking this woman out who's older than him and because of the trailer maybe he has like an attraction to older women me too that's what like, i thought I yeah thought maybe like it was him i don't know what you would call a younger man who chases cougars i don't, I don't a no. cougar poacher i don't know <laughs> a cougar predator <laughs> yes well no you know it's like some sort of animal like what's a cougar's predator i don't know i think it's an alpha um, <laughs> um but it's like that's what i assumed i assumed like maybe like they would end up that it would turn out like the person that he's breaking up with was older than him by a few years or maybe like she's like you'll be fine besides i'm not as old as you like them ha 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 oh so i think you jumped so we jumped to present day and he's just graduated college and he has a girlfriend who who is his age yes and she's going to spain yes for a job i think or continuing her education i think it might be like continuing her education or whatnot and it's yeah once again like there's a lot of stuff that's not very, clear like worried about him and he's like i'm fine i'll find a job with like a with a good nonprofit. but it's just like the sense that he is aimless right yes and uh, but the, it's it, they're not very clear on how aimless he is and like why is he aimless he yeah. graduated from college a lot of people do and i think there's an important place for movies about like young adults fresh out of like college yes. in this world where there isn't a lot of opportunity yes yeah. there we need more movies but this is not saying anything about that like it's hard to state what this movie was saying about anything no it's so unconnected from like it presents things and then drops them um yes 
it fake tilts into darkness. Yeah. Uh, they there's a, a brief period of the film where they're emphasizing that he appears to you know have a dependency on alcohol. Yeah. And then it never goes anywhere yeah, or is dealt with. It's, it's just there. You know, he he got drunk at one of the parties that he was supposed to be hosting. And there's he no was consequence. Out, um, at one point, like when he is offered this job by a group of what I'm assuming are Jewish mothers, because a ton of bar mitzvahs are having happening at the same time. Well, let's talk about how he gets the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes with his younger brother to a bar mitzvah. Yeah. Of one of his brother's friends, right? Uh huh. And Andrew is just really good at getting people up and dancing like that's it so what it was is that he noticed dakota johnson with her daughter and they're not really mingling they're kind of playing games with each other um and in order for him to continue talking to her her name is domino which is a a damn fucking dumb name it feels like a name a bad screenwriter would give a character he wants to have sex with and um like daughter is named lola and so like he's like oh they're not really engaging but nobody's really dancing so he starts asking um all these middle schoolers what song would you absolutely dance to if it was playing and it's a good conversation starter like you think to yourself oh well that's kind of clever like he's so good with these kids and he gets them to start dancing um he engages in like to make lola dance which makes Domino think to herself, like, oh, he's a really nice dude. Like, he didn't go, he wasn't insistent on how he had to, like, hang out with Domino in order to make sure, like, they had sex. No, he was like, I want Lola to have a good time. And he's asking his brother about Lola, blah, blah, blah. And then he does such a good job that all the moms are like, this is what you should be doing as a job. Yeah, it's um, it's ludicrous the way he gets the job. Uh, it. And so I kept thinking, like, okay, so we're going to have this character in this situation. He's falling for this domino woman. I still, having watched the movie, don't understand what she finds attractive in him. Uh, I can see, you know, she's Dakota Johnson. She's physically beautiful, right? Yeah. Uh, So I kind of get it from his perspective. But from her perspective, I don't understand what the attraction to this goober is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, But it's... Yeah. we were talking about the sort of veering into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems I find with this movie and that character, going back to him being referred to as a Gary Stew, there's no consequences for his, his actions throughout this entire movie. At the end of the movie, we're supposed to go, what a good guy. And he hasn't done anything to earn it other no. than just passively, like, being in scenes with other characters. Yeah, it's like... The- so Dakota Johnson and him have like this moment where they're talking about stuff and she's explaining on how she had her daughter very young and how the terms of her life have been dictated by her daughter, which like having met people who do have like autistic children, that seems like a realistic thing of it being like she doesn't regret any sacrifices that she's made for her daughter but she's also sort of like i have to do what my daughter needs and sometimes that's like i don't get my needs met yeah it's uh, but then even then he there's such a big deal that's been made about this movie having like a real autistic actress in it yes but here's the thing that i'm also then he turns around and is like oh well you know my mom uh is bipolar 
And we don't get, like, much about that because, like, that's another plot hole that they kind of drop. The mom is apparently friends with all these Jewish moms, but right now isn't going to talk to them because none of them can stand her. And she's like, I don't want to explain it. And we never get an explanation. No, we do. Apparently she had an outburst and they keep mentioning it. They're like, do you know about your mom's outburst? And one of the moms say, fuck her, she fucked my oh, my husband. And then a friend says, you know she didn't do that. She just said it to like to provoke you. So you think if that were true, that she had an affair, like there would be tension at home with her husband? Zero. There's zero It's tension like two at different home. movies happening. Yes. And it's <laughs> like, I don't know like what is happening because it's supposed to be he hates his stepdad. His stepdad, like is played by Brad Garrett from yes, Everybody Loves Raymond. Who is extremely funny, but not barely, in this film. He barely has any no. lines. He has like so, four lines so in the like whole in movie. In this film, he's like, oh, he's a jerk, he's a jerk. And his brother at some point is like, no, he's a jerk, but he's good for mom. And you're like, all right, are we going to find out why they're good together? Nope. No. <laughs> nope. Um, is there going to be tension? Because apparently, like, she said that she fucked someone else's husband. Nope. No. Uh, like, Are we going to understand why they think he's an asshole? Nope. The most he is does. Is going to have like a depressive episode where we see him taking care of her, or maybe it's her sons having to sweep in and do it and being frustrated with him? Nope. No. Nope. It's like they keep talking about like, oh, he's an asshole. He's an asshole. And I kept thinking like, okay, at some point we'll know why he's an asshole. The worst he does at one point is make a very subtle suggestion to Andrew about a possible job opportunity or something or like oh, a career path working at meat sticks or whatever this yeah, some made up food like, yeah, oh, um, restaurant i got offered a job for like the party starter thing and he's like oh but don't quit your other job just maybe do it part-time or something and he's like shut up yeah <laughs> and i'm like why are you being a dick to <laughs> your stepdad like, he seems like a nice guy that they just drop he like is making a commercial for himself that is super short and it's like and then his mom is like that's it and he's like oh that's it and she's like oh but you should work on it more there's never a moment where he tries to promote like not even a fucking montage you know like how fucking lazy of a montage how most romantic comedies do when the person is hustling on the side the most that we had of a montage is like uh when he's getting his life together of sorts afterwards but the interactions with Dakota Johnson, it's weird because... There's like, no chemistry. Okay, so the first night, he's just hanging around waiting for his ride to arrive. And apparently he lives in such a small place that there's barely any, like, drivers for the app to, to pick it's up. It's like an Uber-y kind of and app. And so yeah. she is like, um, thank you for staying. Wait for me in the living room. She straddles him. They kiss. He says no because he's like, I don't feel like you're into it. Well, she also has a fiancé, too. Yes, but this is the moment that's supposed to endear you to her, mm-hmm. of him being like, I don't want to have sex with you unless you really want to have sex with me, and you're also engaged. And he's also like, but what a nice guy am I? But it's so... She just seems so tired. She seems bored and in this she movie. Also, she seems bored out of her mind. Also, like, trigger warning, she just, like had a like medical difficulty which i don't understand why she would just be like straddling this dude well doesn't she have like her period or something was no she basically lost a baby oh yeah i've totally forgot (laughs) because it was oh my god because and they gloss over it like it's nothing 
She has like a miscarriage, yeah, she has a miscarriage in of- the public bathroom at the bar mitzvah, right? Yes, and that's and no, thing. it's not a big deal. And that like, and, <laughs> what? And she doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to tell her fiance. And then like, um, that's like later he gets drunk and like picks a fight with a kid. Almost picks a fight with the dad because the kid is um is like bullying Lola, and that's. Like, they have this whole thing, and at one point during the parties, like, Dakota Johnson comes up to him to let him know, like, hey, my fiancé is here. And you think, like, all right, if the fiancé, at the least, we're going to find out if either he's a dick or he's, like, the nicest guy ever. And this is between him also sitting for Lola. So Lola and him have, like, a connection this weird. It's but it's it does it feels the weird. scene where he rubs her back scratches her back. It was, I, I was I, uncomfortable watching I, that scene. It was weird. It it felt like he was like, see what a nice guy I am. But as I, I saw a comment of someone talking about this movie who did not like it, and I think they summed it up as Andrew is the kind of nice guy who you find out sexually assaulted a minor years later, that's how it feels and like. that's the way that character reads. Now he doesn't do that in the movie. But he reads like that guy who is working so hard to be seen as nice. Yes. And then, when you're like, if you were nice, you wouldn't have to work that hard at it. You would just like be that nice. Thing, like, for example, another thing that they kind of, the only thing that they kind of wrap up is at some point he tells his mom, like, uh, I'm going to go to Spain. There's stuff, there's opportunities there. And, she's kind and of he wants like, to be closer to the ex. He wants to be uh, close to his ex-girlfriend. And his mom is like, okay. And then she later says that she's going to help him out. And he's like, I'm not going to do it because I think she's dating someone else. So we never see him like crash and burn, which is something that we normally do in romantic comedies or any like slice of life thing of maybe him ranking up a fucking huge like phone bill because he's calling his ex-girlfriend and texting her all the time. This this was like a slice of privilege life. Yes, where it's like he is upset about it. Then he gets over it. He falls in love with Dakota Johnson. The her like fiance is just boring, and it's like he is. Token. But everyone's boring in this movie. He is, but he's also token like Latino. There. Yeah, he's there's, the only minority in the movie, right? Like, that has like a speaking role. <laughs> I, I I don't remember seeing any uh, like black people. Yeah. it's just. Yeah, he's the only like BIPOC person that I can remember talking. And like, <laughs> like that's the crazy so, thing. Like, I don't understand it because there's barely any fucking representation. I had no idea what was going well, on. Well, no, he's like, he's Judaism stuff. He's making a movie about Judaism from an outsider perspective. It didn't make sense <laughs> to me because it was like, because remember, like when we all right, in my past job, I worked with Jewish people, and we had to go to a funeral, and I remember on how we just kept. We were whispering to each other, being like fascinated, being inside of a temple, and like the rituals like, and everything. Yeah, it's interesting to see. On. And like at no point is he ever, or like even do it through the um, through like his younger brother or Lola, of being like, because Lola's invited because she goes to the same school as them. Yep. Of ever being like, oh, can you please explain this to me? I don't understand. Yeah. But it just seemed like as if, from my understanding, was like. They didn't even go to like the ritual before they just. He just goes to the party venue immediately to the party, which is 
Like, that's not like. Does he not understand? There's like, like a whole thing in the a thing is, like, synagogue. Even in the film, like, <laughs> like one of the girls that he ends up like sleeping with, who he went to school with, is Jewish. Is Jewish, and she's like, "Oh, you went to my little brother's like thing, and you didn't go to the ceremony before. That's rude." And like the movie points it out, and to him. like he's like, "Ha ha! I just didn't have time, and my younger brother invited me." And da da da. But at no point is it sort of like them sitting there and like maybe like whispering and his brother being like, what's happening now? Because again, you can be the newbie through the brother's eyes. It's just, it's so messy. Uh, and they made a big deal, I feel like, in the, the little marketing of the movie that I came across about v- Vanessa Burghardt, who plays Lola, yeah. and the fact that they had an, a someone who actually is on the autism spectrum playing an autistic character. And I love that. Much better than, you know, garbage like Sia's music where it's just an embarrassment. And she is a great actress. She's not bad. She disappears in the second half of the movie. Like, that character is a prop, essentially, for Andrew to be able to have this relationship with this woman. It's a prop to show that he's a good guy. Yes. Lola has no agency in this movie. Isn't he a good guy and, like, taking interest in her like her weird things oh she collects potato smashers and she isn't that weird and like he 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 has a a bet with the mom and that she's gonna give him like three hundred dollars if he can make lola dance and he buys her the specialized puzzle but there's never like a moment where you're like excited or happy that they have become close she's a person for him to talk at to then express his emotions so that the audience knows him better as a character but she's a character who never has the same agency and we never find out what it is she really wants or who she is yeah there's like oh she has only a few moments the touching moment's supposed to be how when she tells him you can't scratch my back to go yes you can it's like oh look the trust has been built but like it just feels hollow because there's like they have this weird conversation where he was like oh you know that was kind of brutal and she's like brutal like she's confused because she's you know doesn't understand the word in that context like she's you know she's autistic where she's not reading social cues and he is kind of like suddenly amazed which is kind i think that's it doesn't work very well because it's like you're playing a 22 year old Who doesn't understand anything. Who doesn't understand... (laughs) He's amazed by every aspect of life. Like, Like, autistic people don't understand social cues? Jews have special parties? What? (laughs) And it doesn't... And, like, even then he's not questioning about it because it's, like, this weird thing of, like... I feel like a, a lot more people are in tune as to what autism is. And the social cues is pretty well known. Not this other yeah. smaller stuff. It's one of the more things. like obvious signs. Yes. And like it's, I don't know, like at, there's no charm. He's not funny. It's everything in the movie is surface level, but the film behaves like it's super charming. And you're like, it feels like people I've known who like they've shaped their identity around the presentation of life in sitcoms. Yeah. So they are they have this banter back and forth that is so forced and performative and you're like but this isn't the way people talk to each other. And you're talking this way cuz like isn't this cool that we're so quirky and talk the this way? Lack of fucking chemistry yes. between him and Dakota Johnson. They're sitting there at some point they're like 
What are, what are the things that they're like eating? That's like um, the meat sticks. <laughs> like the ice pop thing. And oh then, yeah, yeah. And yeah. at some point, like he's asking her questions, but again, this is the time that she's talking about how you know she wants stability in her life. There's never or like how. Like Lola's dad left her, but there's you don't get a sense of what she likes or doesn't like. All she is is this beautiful mom. Yeah, she's a non-person who like is maybe doing things not in the right place, and she tells him like the things that I know that are good for me, I'm scared to do, and he thinks that it's about him that he's good for her, only for him to realize, oh no, she meant her fiance. And I think it's fucking bullshit at the end of the day when he ends up saying that because at no point does he see like the fiance with Lola being like loving and caring and all that stuff for him to go like, no, I'm not the thing that she needs. She needs something else. He's still the best thing ever for her. Even and, at the end when they, but, like, yeah. While they're eating that stuff, she like stops the conversation, looks at him and says, you know what you look like right now? You look like the most sweetest person in the world. <laughs> and like, the line delivery. Well, she, like we said, she's bored and he's a terrible actor. He's so vacant. This, this dollar store Adam Scott with no fucking charm to it. Like, you, like, honestly, you could have gotten this cast of Stella to all place this dude at the same time pretending to be a 22-year-old. Yeah. And Michael Showalter in this role would have been so much better. more out of it. <laughs> Of them being like a like a little doofus, a little puppy boy. Like it's just well, like like, he does a thing that I know some people will probably say if it's pointed out. They're like, oh, well, you're just you just are advocating for toxic masculinity. This dude cries like a dozen times during this movie. Now, there's nothing wrong with portraying a man on screen who cries. I think that's great. That's a very healthy thing to show, right? We need to show men showing more emotion. But the way he does it and the context in which it happens, he's a little bitch. <laughs> like, Andrew is a little is bitch. Like, there's uh. such a lack of chemistry, such a lack of humor within him that that's why when he starts crying, it's, you're already tired. It's of it. grating. Because it's not endearing. He's looking at everybody with these, like, big puppy eyes, like, don't, won't you love me? And then, like, the moment he does cry, like, there's never a moment, like, if we did show, like, let, let's say you do have a, a person that cries a lot. I would love it if, like, they kind of, like, kind of made fun of themselves, not in a bad way, of just being like, I'm sorry, I just cry at everything. Or um, just them trying to stop themselves from crying. This is just deliberate crying. And it's not, like, even, like, sobbing, heartbroken. It's... It's weirdly unsentimental. It's like, <laughs> like it's, it's as if someone told him, we canceled your favorite show. Oh, man, I love that show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I want to share this exchange. It's just three lines. Domino, I need to take off this fucking t-shirt. Andrew, I like your t-shirt. Domino, if you like it, then why don't you marry it? Yeah. What the, like, that's just a sample of yeah. the dialogue in this movie where it's, is, you're like, is that a joke? Am I supposed to have laughed at that? Delivered so dryly. Yeah, with no emotion behind it. With no, the, like, then why don't you marry? There's never like a chuckle or him going like that was a bad joke. So or, my big yeah. question for you: What did Andrew learn by the end of this movie? <laughs> That's 
upset. Like I was. He ends up getting a fucking job. Like he's fine at the end of the day. He there's no lingering pain from the whole thing with Domino. It's just like, like, oh, I I am the best thing that she ever knew. So. So he's just sort of like, oh, you're always gonna love me, and I'm always gonna love you, and like it's. It doesn't feel real at all. It's. It doesn't feel real because it's sort of like I'm. It's fine if you have like a happy-go-lucky character, but there should be a sense of darkness within happy-go-lucky characters like this edge of it because yeah, and it doesn't have to be like pitch black like gritty no. violent it's just something that makes him human yeah like maybe like once he's alone like you see like him breaking well, down because they introduced the the alcohol dependency hold on to that explore that what how does that interact with domino how does that interact with lola like this is a thing you've introduced as a trait to the character now show me how that impacts the relationship with other characters and it barely makes a dent in the movie yeah this is this weird thing that for example like he goes to a party lola's there with her soon-to-be stepdad and um, i think he just hates stepdads like think about that he really hates stepdads something happened that like he hates stepdads (laughs) and like he like domino's not there and he's like well she doesn't feel well he goes over to go see her and that's when she's like, you think that just because you love someone, like, you can, like, things are going to be fine. And he's like, yeah. And, like, and that's when, like, the fiance shows up and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just a stupid kid. And he gets into the car. And you think, like, maybe that would be a bigger emotional problem. Nope. Of maybe, like, someone knocking on his car and him starting to cry hysterically. But, like, even this, this dude, the fiance, is totally cool with him. He's like, no, I get it. You're a good kid. Yeah, there's no conflict. But even then, like, the conflict doesn't even build up. Or do you have a moment where you're like, again, everyone is so flat and he's supposed to be the 3D. Yeah. And it's cheaply done. Everyone is just, like, there to support him and make him into, like, this great being. Like, at some point, he, like, it's very narcissistic. gives his mom a black eye and she's okay with it. Like, there, this is there's no of, consequences. There could have been a moment where, like, maybe the stepdad was like, you know, fuck you, you need to leave the house. Like, like you need to grow up kind like, of a thing. Even if like, even if I know it was an accident, it's not fair that, that you did this to your mother after everything she's going through. There's nothing. Like, the most that he gets is his younger brother going, like, I'm going to miss you because he's going to move out. Yeah. But he's like, no, don't worry. I'm just going to, I'm going to live close by. Yeah, every emotional beat, like, happens and seconds later is over. And so what it is, is like, it's it's a nice white dude that has one nice white job to the next and gets a job at a nonprofit working with kids. And I'm going to recommend a movie that is a counter-programming to this. So you want, like, an older coming-of-age story, right, with personality we want consequences we want relationships that have meaning joaquin trier's the worst person in the world is the movie you should watch instead of this it is similar in its like base foundations but does so much more with those ideas of like how do you become a grown-up when you feel so disconnected from adulthood um all of the like the complications and pitfalls with relationships Five minutes of that movie is much more compelling than the whole like i don't know how many like, almost two hours oh. yeah of uh yeah so cha-cha real smooth is not a short watch it's gonna clock it in almost at two it was a movie that needed to be like 75 minutes <laughs> all right so that is what we thought of cha-cha real smooth if you have uh thoughts you would like to share check out the show notes uh they will guide you to our uh voicemail page where you can leave those thoughts When we come back, we will be talking about Peter Strickland's latest film, The Wild 
comedy horror flux gourmet. So Peter Strickland is a director who I have not explored the depths of his filmography yet. There's a film he made called The Duke of Burgundy that I've continually hear really good things about, and one day we will watch it. Uh, But for Mr. Strickland's filmography, we had previously seen In Fabric, which is a surreal horror movie about a killer dress. Yes. Uh, And so we knew going into Flux Gourmet from having watched In Fabric and having watched the trailer for Flux Gourmet, that we were in for a weird movie. So it was one of those where, you know, we weren't caught off guard. We knew what we were getting into. Yeah. Uh, the concept is very strange, uh, but it's kind of what you expect from a guy who makes a movie about a killer dress. Can, can you? <laughs> I think, yeah. My thing would be, I just expect something odd. So um, Flux Gourmet is a black comedy And it is about a group of experimental performance artists who don't have a name for their group yet, but they're part, uh, they're known for their process of sonic catering, where they extract disturbing sounds from food. Yes. Uh, They take up residency at a remote artistic institution that apparently specializes in this art form, uh, run by an, an enigmatic director who is always referred to in her full name, Jan Stevens. Jan Stevens, as if it's one word, played by Gwendolyn Christie who is fantastic in this movie. Yes, she is. Uh, An outsider uh, named Stones is tasked with recording the day-to-day rituals of the group, only to discover that he's actually becoming a part of the the work that they're doing. Yeah. And that's a very simple explanation to a movie that is quite crazy, (laughs) Uh, but super fun. I I ended up really enjoying myself watching this movie. It is to... Really explain it beyond that simple premise. It is fucking bizarre. But um, he, he creates... These are other dimensions. These oh, are not our yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So it starts off like someone speaking in Greek with images of cooking. That So you don't know what is going on. And <clears throat> you start to realize after a little bit who it is that's narrating in Greek which is Stones. Because Stones' like accent is not... To me, I didn't go Greek immediately when I heard him. He, he just... he There's like this mix of English... Because like, I think it's... Yeah, it's that like he learned English from someone who was British. And yeah. so there's those, yeah, tones, those and little accents so in there. It's it's so weird. Uh, it's... I would say Peter Strickland as a director... To me, you can see how, who his filmmaking influences, but what I like is he's not a derivative filmmaker. So like Dario Argento, the Italian giallo director who did like the original Suspiria mm-hmm. and movies like that, you can see that influence in Strickland's work, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it doesn't feel like he's just mimicking Argento. Oh no, he's like doing something completely unique to him. It feels like this is a person who had um, watched a lot of public access stuff as yes. a child. And so, or obscure art movies. Yeah, and so there's like... Um, the, I don't know how to describe it. It's like you do feel as if this has all been staged. Yeah. But very lovingly and very detailed-oriented to the last, like, minuscule thing. Think, like, the colors, like, the way people are dressed, 
their hair. Every aspect of the movie is thought about. Yes. Um, and I think it's, uh, to describe it, it's like Dario Argento in his giallo horror mixed with the dark comedy of Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes. And I, that's those two things, if you can imagine those mashed up, that's a Peter Strickland movie. And I, the moment that I was just like, oh, this is not our universe at all, was uh, one of the artists, they have, um, what is it, after dinner... Like speeches speeches not like and they're like they're not debates they're not conversation they are speech it's just one person each dinner yes and the first time she starts talking about this cookbook that her mother was you know like this was the bible and at home but the cover of it looks modern but it's all dusted over and it looks modern because it's a fo- photograph of a woman on the top of it but it's in English, and here's the moment I was just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. So I realized, oh, her if this book is in English, why does she have an accent? Because I'm trying to figure out did her dad or and she speaks with this bizarre accent. Well, it's the actress's <laughs> accent. Uh, her name is um, Fatima Mohammed. Yes. Uh, and she was in um, in Fabric. She played one of. She's Romanian. And she played one of the um, strange, we'll just say, shopkeep assistants in, uh, yeah, <laughs> in Fabric. I did love and that. It's, it's someone Strickland obviously really likes. Yes. Because uh, I don't think these are the only two movies of his that she's been in. Um, but it's it's so weird because it's sort of like, you're like, why does she have this accent? But it's like the book that is like, it's obviously modern, but made to look old. But then the Ten Commandments of like, being a homemaker that she yes. reads sound like something from the 1950s because yes. everything is about making sure your husband is comfortable make sure your husband is happy when he gets home from work make sure you put a cold beer before he arrives and then at a certain point she starts tearing out and eating pages from the book <laughs> yeah and then staring people right in the eye as yeah. she does it it's so there's the hairstyles like the young it's like guy, 80s like, and 70s yes. and well, but i want to talk about um the feel of the movie is it feels hypnotic. It's sort of a movie that you have to get yourself in rhythm with it. It's yeah. not going to like, br- br- it's not going to like bring itself to you. You have to bring yourself to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot of films that we watch that sometimes we multitask by like looking at stuff or like briefly playing something. But this one was like you had to give it your full attention because. Then they would like it would change over to the narrative side, and then the narrative side was in Greek, so you had to read the subtitles. And um, the the storyline at the end of the day, which well, because is... it's Stones ends up being the protagonist of the yes. film. Yes, everyone else is kind of in orbit around Stones. The film has this air of like sinisterness, but then it it never becomes sinister you just feel like you're on edge you're like oh what's gonna happen everything feels like a horror movie but then it's comedy at the end of it it's just like pure comedy um i saw about gwendolyn christie as jan stevens oh my god i watching her in the film made me realize how fucking wasted she was in star wars like they did nothing with her oh yeah and she's not in enough stuff and like (laughs) i'm not seeing her in enough she's she is very tall, and she's talked about the fact that hard like, to get cast. It's hard to get cast when she just looms over, and the makeup that they put on her, where she looks kind of skeletal, 
with the dark um, eyes, like all and around like her, her cheekbones and everything. And like yeah. she has like really blonde like eyebrows. They've and dyed her really eyebrows, I think. Red yeah. lips. Well, and then her her uh, sleepwear oh, is God. the strangest <laughs> pajamas I've ever seen. She has like a bonnet. That covers her ears. Yeah, and it, it looks like if for anyone's familiar, and it's tied underneath uh, the, the her chin. chin. But then the part that really got me is if anyone's familiar with Star Wars and the Twi'leks, they were uh, like yeah. the slaves to Jabba the Hutt, the dancing women who have the like head tendrils. Her bonnet has two long tendrils that just hang down yeah, that don't seem to serve any function. Like it, it's it, all decorative. It's like it's, it blends into her night. Like clothes. Yeah, so it's it such like- a strange <laughs> outfit, um, and that's where you really realize like the amount of attention that Strickland has paid to this movie in the pre-production phase. Is it's clear he was there with the costume designers. He was giving them notes. They were altering altering things back and forth until they found like the look he was going for. Yeah, and so it makes the film feel very curated in that way. Yes. Uh, Kind of in a similar way, but not the exact same as like a Wes Anderson movie, where you're like, this film is filled with detail because the director wants a very specific mood and tone. He yeah. wants you to feel a certain way when you watch and it. And I think with Wes Anderson, there's like, there is a realism in how tweed and special everything is. There's something else about this, but it kind of reminds me of like that one time we started watching this, uh, that Australian director. That we watched that had like a lot of Mel Gibson and his stuff. George um, Miller, who did Mad no, Max. Like oh, did, Peter Weir. Yes, he, I don't think he had a ton of Mel no, Gibson. No, no, no. But just two, like almost three. Uh, I don't know. But I anyway, like one, like I remember, like it was set in the past, and we're watching like, Gallipoli. This, was yeah, that the yeah about World War One? Like I remember just being like, oh my god, the hats, because this is Australia. It wasn't like exclusively like westernized like the point the hats of the children were way more pointed what's like because they it was developed in isolation the fashion has become its own yes thing. Yeah. and so this is what that feels like me watching that because like i there's a lot of times when we do watch films in the past i'm like yeah i recognize those garments this but feels alien <laughs> but when there's just a small twist just enough for you to be like what is that like why is it that way everything else looks normal why is this this way and it's it's brilliantly done because now it's embedded in our brains. We can't like. Oh yeah. Um, Doctor Glock, played by the British actor Richard Bremer, he's the doctor uh, at the Sonic he, Caterers facility, the he institute. He's like the antagonist and of he's, the film. And he's <laughs> never not smiling, even when he's being insulted. So he's the doctor. He plays a critical role because Stones, who is essentially our main character and narrator. Is having like gastrointestinal distress, and the doc can't stop farting. Yeah, he can't stop farting. That's a big a big part of this movie is Stones trying to excuse himself from situations so he can can go go outside and fart. But then people (laughs) they keep showing up, (laughs) so it's one of those like it's so ridiculous when you describe it, but it works and it's so funny. Like you start to realize like this whole film. It's about a guy who can't shit. It's, it's, it's about a guy having like gastro problems, and the thing is, like he between it is woven the drama that's going on between this art collective, how they don't want to do the things that like uh, Jan Stevens Jan wants. Stevens wants them to do. Him having to document everything because they're like, well, like 
when they realized what I was doing, they're like, well, you have to go into walks with us. And he's like, the walks are alone. I yearn to be alone in order to fart. And it's all like in Greek. So like... But it's it's written and delivered in this very like, the actor is committed to that line. And so you're like, yeah, yeah, this is like and an important it, thing. But it's like this funny thing that the one moment that he does get to be alone because he walks away and he's about to fart. And one of them was just, <laughs> and he did fart. And she's woman's like, oh, hey. And well, she just like, pops like out of the side of the frame of the, like, like, she had to be standing there the whole time just from a filmmaking perspective. And then she just pops in from the side of the frame right as he farts. And like, then I love it's just like, and the thing is like, he thinks that he's like, um, He's managing to hide this, to hold it in. Everybody knows. But everybody knows. (laughs) And nobody's ever going to him like, hey, it's fine. You know, just go take care of yourself. They're letting him get anxiety. They're letting him have anxiety and wake up in the middle of the night, like trying to fart in the bathroom. And they're like like saying he spends all night in there. Because part of his, he has to be embedded with this group of performance artists. So he has to sleep in the same room with them. Which means he's constantly getting up at night and waking some of them up as he goes to the bathroom to fart. Uh, I, I want to point out, um, I found the Ariane Labed and Asa Butterfield, who play the uh, Fatima Mohammed. Her character is LDL, LDL, yes. and she doesn't want them to have names in the group. She wants the group to be called LDL after her. <laughs> And so you have these two side characters who are, from scene one, disgruntled about being in this group with her. Um, you get information about how they kind of came together, and you understand, like, why they're a group. But you also understand why this group is about to, like, fall apart, and they're going to be done. But uh, I found Ariana Labed was so good in just being so dry in the way she delivered comedy. And then Asa Butterfield... Uh, what a name. Yeah. He... <laughs> Uh, basically has a sexual relationship with Jan Stevens. It is so bizarre. And it's she talks about this game of smelling two fingers. He talks, yeah, he talks yeah. about and it. And so he basically, he can be literally mesmerized in the movie from the scent of vagina. And so Jan Stevens will like present two fingers to him. And then he will, he like, he spaces out and it's like he's under hypnosis and she gives him commands and he follows but them. Do, it's so strange. But here's the thing. Here's the brilliance of that, which is like, it's the comedy of it. It's the physicality of doing it before they put the fingers to his nose. It's watching them reach their hand in, and you can see like there's a struggle because it's they like got to get a good scent on it. Yeah. And then like, and then offering the fingers to <laughs> him and for him to be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> like, so like the 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 theme of the movie underneath all of this seeming like incoherent insanity is that Stones keeps getting sick from eating their food. And he's the only person that can't appreciate their food, their performance. And LDL is in like the minute she gets a note from or even Jan Stevens suggests that she has notes, LDL just goes nuclear. <laughs> And I love that Jan Stevens was like, okay, maybe you should listen to one of the notes first. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're getting like, very mad. I, she's like saying, even if you I, don't have to do it. I just want to share but it. But this is my favorite. But So even if you agree to it and you think it's a good idea, you're you not won't gonna do, do it, it because I suggested it. She's like, nope, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, and so what the movie really is, is it's a movie about commerce versus art. It's And it's going to the extremes of both of these, showing yeah. how absurd LDL is. To just not want to compromise for anyone about anything ever about 
anything. Yeah. And then Jan Stevens, who's trying to market something that is so niche and so bizarre, but thinking like, no, 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 we can make money off of this. Uh, and it's also fun about subverting your expectations because I won't go into detail, but there is a scene that when you see it, you will be nauseated by it. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's the one performance where it's like, oh, I, I can't believe they're actually doing this. However, the next scene, uh, and I forget his name. I couldn't find it, but it was, they basically have a roadie who yeah. is, he's like blank the roadie or something. That is yeah. his literal name who is cleaning up afterwards and he finds something hidden on stage that then will cause you as an audience member to question that performance and the thing that you thought was so vile and so like beyond the pale after he finds this thing the question is now was that real yeah and so it shows that part of the performance is inauthentic uh, and the performance is not being done with the sense of like I want to communicate a truth it's about uh, shock, value. shock shock value, which is something that Peter Strickland talks about, is he is not a director who likes shock value. And so he constantly in his movies has this tension of how much do I show? How much do I not show? I don't want to be overly disgusting just for the audience to react and there not be a reason behind it. Uh, and so I think everything in this movie that seems like gross and disgusting, there's a reason that it's there. It's a metaphor for other things that are going on. Um, I thought the cinematography was awesome. Yeah, it was good. Like, I felt like the texture of the food was translated through the camera. Like yeah. wet, sticky things. When you see it on film, the sheen, that you, the way they light it and the oh, color yeah, grading, yeah, yeah. it just, you can feel the, like, there's a whole thing where she's supposed to be a ch was it a child or a premature baby or something covered in spaghetti sauce? It's one of the first performances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I think she's like an animal being slaughtered or something. I think it was an animal being slaughtered because it was a representation of like a cow getting like Yes, a... that being born. Yeah. And so like she's covered, naked covered, this is LDL, is naked covered in tomato sauce while her partners are creating noises using pots and pans and blenders and all of that. And it's there's just this proliferation, this explosion of tomato sauce. And I felt like the cinematography did such a good job of, like, you felt, like, how damp yeah. and, like, how this, like the stink that must be in, uh, in that room. Are you okay? I know, but it's, I think it's, it's quite an accomplishment because it's so often, like, look at a Marvel movie and the cinematography there where you don't feel anything. Like, it doesn't yeah. communicate that environment in a tangible way. Uh, but this is, I mean, it's helped that they're not in, you know, a big CG green screen room. They're in a real room. This is, re this is real tomato sauce. It's on them. And so that is, I think, important to the film is that you feel it. So when the stuff happens with uh, Bones and the, uh, or st Stones and his uh, gastro issues, like you feel it. Yeah. You feel that because it's a feeling we've all had and the way it's shot and the sound design of like, you know, his stomach burbling and you can feel well, the bloated pain of it. And it's also like this interesting thing that he is so uncomfortable even with the, like, they get tributes after they've performed and, and they're just, the tributes are just having orgies. Yeah, that was another like <laughs> world building thing of the fans after a performance come in and then they like lick and kiss all over your body. Yeah, and it's... And like, it's just normal. That's just what yes, they do. And it's normal because at some point... I forgot the name of the character he he 
tries to break up with uh, Jan Stevens. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, so what do you mean about, like, what about this? What about, the, like, she's so upset. And he's like, well, maybe we can engage in one of the orgies. And, like, that's the way it's supposed to end. And she is so enraged with him. But it's also, after one of their performances, nobody shows up for, like, the tributes afterwards because they're so disgusted by them that they just assume, like, oh, they've crossed a barrier now and nobody, and, like, especially when they get, get fi- found out that they're just, like, they're like they they have to make it up somehow for them to get the tributes and he stones doesn't participate in them but he has to watch them he's, he's obligated to watch well, them because well, it's they kind of frame it as if there's a documentary being made because they'll cut to like two camera interviews with the members of the collective yeah and they're talking about other members and it's it's like there's an interview going on that we're only seeing pieces of yes i mean he is interviewing them um, at some point by themselves and the first interview is obviously with Elle who's like discarding and the rest of them only, they're all worthless and she's the and only, only talent to find out that the other two are the ones who have skills but they openly admit that she has the ambition and she has the drive to do this yeah especially like the young man he's like I just want to cook and make weird noises versus but she turns it into something yes and so I think that's like the film is all about that tension of where are the boundaries in art what is the purpose of art? Are we making art to make money? Are we making art to express ourselves? If we're doing it to express ourselves, what are we trying to express? And is it worth expressing? Is it yeah. something that other people want to see or hear? And what happens when you get that sort of visceral negative reaction to your art? What does that mean as an artist? Yeah. Does that mean you're headed down the right path? Does it mean you've gone too far? Do you shift over and like go back to what's safe or do you keep pushing the boundaries and it's like at some point they stop doing culinary stuff and they start focusing on something else, which includes stones. And it's like that's when the shift goes in and you don't know what's happening in stones. And at the is... end of the movie, he's part of the performance. Yes. And it's and then Dr. Glock is part of the performance as well. Um, and it's sort of, well, what is this? Like, is this the same art we were making at the beginning or have we created something new? Did we abandon... Uh, a type of art that was actually truer to who we were in order to chase a but certain audience. Also, the interesting thing is at the last scene is basically him being able to enjoy their food. Yeah. Because he knows what's his problem and they know what it is, so they cook it accordingly. And so now he can engage in the art. Yes. So in a way, it's sort of, yeah, it's about how do you, how does the the audience engage with the art and should the audience become a part of it and does that make it more meaningful to the yeah, audience members like there's also this thing of him being a writer and being like i just write emotions and feelings and people are like you mean stories he's like i couldn't call it that so he is so lost between his gas stuff but also as a, and then at the end he does find himself yeah and so it ends on like this oddly happy note it's like the happiest possible ending you could have for a story like yeah. this but and it's utterly bizarre and it's hilarious and it's wonderful and i would say this isn't a movie that's going to appeal anywhere near to like a a broad wide audience but if any of what we said in our review appeals to you then seek this movie out because i think you're going to love it if what we said sounds awful to you then don't watch it i don't think it's for you Uh, (laughs) and that's okay like peter strickland's movies are he's making movies that he would want to watch And it just so happens there's other people in the world that also want to watch it. That's the way I look at it. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pop Cult Podcast. Make sure to check the show notes for any links uh, to any relevant reviews. Uh, you can find tons of reviews on popcult.blog. Uh, hope you visit it, and you'll see a lot more than what we do here on the podcast. Uh, make sure to subscribe wherever it is you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when our new episodes pop up. Uh, recently, we just unlocked a patron-only uh, episode from last summer. Our review of uh, Fast and Furious 9 is now available on the public feed, and there'll be more of those coming here during the summer. Uh, coming up on the blog, uh, we're right in the middle of the Dis American Disillusionment in the 1970s series, uh, where we're watching movies like uh, Dirty Harry, Serpico, and trying to see what a similar time to now had to say about America. Uh, we're also coming up in July going to be doing a 21st century Scorsese uh, series where we're going to be looking at mostly movies Scorsese did with uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That is the majority of them we're finding. Uh, and then at the end of July, we'll be doing a series about capitalism on film. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast work and the blog and you'd like a way to show your thanks, well, we have a Patreon link uh, in the description here of this episode. And it ha we have rewards and goals, uh, and we would love for you to join. Keep a lookout. There's going to be a, a giveaway coming up here in the next few days related uh, to the Patreon, so keep your eyes open for that one. Uh, speaking of our Patreon, I want to thank uh, those that do contribute. Uh, Becca and Matt, they're both at the $10 writer's room level, and people who contribute at that level or higher get to pick uh, one movie every month, uh, for us to watch and review. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep watching.